This morning, I want you to think about uh, the, the last time you were in a good argument with somebody, um, you know, where you had a lot of, little bit of back and forth. I, I don't want to make you uncomfortable because I know for some of you uh, that was probably this morning and, and, and that happens, um, you know, but just think about the last time you were in an argument with somebody and, um, you know, you, maybe it got heated or something like that. Um, did you catch yourself or looking back, I want to ask you this, how did you listen were you a listener? Did you interrupt? Did you try to keep, keep the, the discussion on course uh, so you were in control? Um, how did the other person listen? Were they a good listener? Were they an effective listener? And um, I can think of times where I've been on both sides of that, you know, where I, and, and I used to love arguing, um, and my mom will tell you that. I, I, it's something I've gradually gotten out of in my life. I don't care for it as much anymore. But it is something that um, I have noticed uh, the types of people that listen well and the types of people that do not listen well. And what kind of spirit is in me when I'm listening well and the type of spirit that's in me when I don't. I'm curious. I mean, it's really interesting to me. I brought it up in, in Luke chapter 8. Jesus closes the parable of the seeds by saying this powerful statement. He says this, be careful how you listen. Be careful how you are listening to me. Isn't it interesting that it's the religious leaders that are not listening well? They are not listening effectively. And what's um, the problem here is not an intellectual problem. The problem is not that they are not smart enough to follow. The problem is a heart problem. What gets in the way of effective listening is pride, anger, and prejudice. That is what gets in the way of effective listening, really hearing someone. The uneducated seem to understand Christ. The poor seem to understand Christ quite well. The children are following Christ. These these parts of society seem to be following the message and giving their hearts and rendering their hearts. But the religious leaders, it's quite the opposite. Be careful how you listen. And I have to ask this question of you, and I think the answer is obvious. It's a rhetorical question, but think about it. This chapter, chapter 9, is going to open with Herod. Herod is going to ask about this Christ. Who is this man? Who, who are people saying? What do the crowds say about him? Well, some say he's John the Baptist who's been raised from the dead. And he goes, I killed him myself. I know he's dead. Some people are saying he's Elijah. Others saying he's one of the prophets. They, this is how he responds to his servants respond to King Herod. We're going to have a very similar scene with Peter and the apostles in just a moment. But this is initially how it opens. Herod is being contrasted with these fishermen. These fishermen have this this luxury of being able to sit at Christ's feet, to know him, to speak face to face with him. When he goes off in private, they're there with him. Herod, the king, is seeking an audience with him. He wants to see him, it says. He says, but he's, he's not able to. So I want to ask this question rhetorically. Why is it that the religious leaders refuse, because of their hearts, not because of their minds, to hear his message But the poor and the outcast and the sidelined, why can they hear it? 
what is the difference between these two groups? What is going on? I've recognized it in my life. I've recognized it in my own ministry. Both because I was the bad guy that was the religious leader that refused to listen and because several times I've offered messages where I've thought, how did you not understand what I just said, but this person over here that is a child did? What's going on? Pride. Anger. Prejudice. These things that build up a wall between us and Christ. Um, The next scene we have is he's sitting with his disciples and it says, who do the crowds say that I am? He replied, some say John the Baptist. Again, others say Elijah and still others. One of the prophets from long ago has come back to life. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Christ of God. Now, this confession is, is, it's, it's famous, but it's also very important in this context because we're going to have to follow through with this. What does this mean for me? What does this mean going forward? Where is this going to take us? And chapter 9, I think, is the most pivotal chapter in the book of Luke where we're going to change direction from this chapter going forward. It's going to go a completely different direction from where it's been going. And Christ is going to prepare his disciples by, in chapter 8, he's going to say, listen carefully what I'm about to tell you. In just a moment, God is going to say, this is my son, listen to him. Then when he comes down from the mountain once again, he's going to say, listen carefully. I want you to pay close attention to my words. Have you ever had to do that with somebody? Where they're just, they're out of control, maybe a child or something like that, and they're going off, and you just want nothing more than for them to sit still and listen to what you're saying. Would you give me five seconds? Have you ever been in a conversation where five seconds would be gold? Just, just five seconds. That's all I'm asking, man. I can complete a thought in a hurry if you don't interrupt me. Five seconds. That's all I need. Just let me speak to you. This is God throughout scripture. Just give me a few minutes. Just give me a little bit of time. I have something I need, to, I need to say to you. And it will change everything. Please let me speak to you. Listen to me. So before I get into, further into this message, I want to bring this before God. I want to bring your heart before God. I want to bring your mind before God. And I want to let you know that listening to Jeff you need to be very cautious. Listening to God, you need to be very submissive. And there are two things that I want to ask of you. One, I want to prepare your minds. But more importantly than that, and what I think makes us more effective listeners, is I want to ask God to prepare our hearts so that we can hear what he says. Uh, My Father, um, I, I beg of you that you would make us effective listeners with heart, soul, mind, and strength that we would submit to you entirely. God, I lift up this time before you, and I pray, Father, that um, we would not just see this as a story in the Bible, but we would see this as the story of our lives. God, that you would speak to us and that you would teach us how to listen to your one voice above every voice in our life. It's in the name of Christ we come before you. Amen. it's no wonder they would, they would think he was Elijah or Moses, one of the prophets, John the Baptist. Uh, gave you this illustration a few weeks ago uh, that everything that seems to be happening in this story isn't random. It really does appear that Christ's life is imitating Elijah's life. Uh, that really is going to, um, uh, we're going we're to emphasize that a little bit more next week. 
Um, so some say that you're, he's Elijah. Well, why wouldn't they? He went down to the Jordan River where the Spirit would fall on him. He cleansed le- lepers. He raised dead children. He multiplied bread miraculously. His disciples asked him, why don't you call down fire from heaven? Why? He's come in the spirit of Elijah. Um, discipleship in the plow at the end of this chapter. Remember when Jesus says, whoever desires to come after me, um, um, if you put your hand to the plow, don't look back. Why does he say that? Because when Elijah called Elisha, he was plowing. He has to say goodbye to his father and mother. It's the same scenario. So what you're seeing is not just the spirit of Elijah, but you're actually seeing something that is very exactly from Elijah, and it's on purpose. What about Moses? Um, he didn't actually say some say Moses, but this idea of him coming in the spirit of Moses is again in the chapter, one of the prophets. Um, hidden as a child in Egypt um, from a wicked king who was killing the newborns. He fasted for 40 days. He showed compassion to a woman at a well. He washed his closest followers. Provided bread in the wilderness. Um, enveloped by a cloud on a mountain. That's the, the, ver- the verses we're about to get into. Where his face shined like the sun. He was called to make a tabernacle. Uh, God said, listen to him. He went down to a corrupt people. That actually follows the uh, story of the transfiguration. And so you're seeing this parallel to Moses. And so, of course, the people are looking at him and saying, this is Elijah. This is Moses. This is the spirit that he's come in. This is what the people um, would have been saying about him anyway. And it's really amazing when you're looking at it through that lens. Um, Moses even said this about the coming Christ. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. Now, I want you to hold on to that. That's what Moses said about the coming Christ. When he comes, someone is going to come in my spirit. Someone's going to come in my character. You must listen to him. Um, the book of Acts, uh, Peter brings, um, brings that verse and applies it to Christ as well. So this image, and I want to go ahead and take you to our text. This is going to be Luke chapter 9. I'm going to begin reading in verse 28. Uh, this image of the Peter, James, and John on a mountain. And they are um, with Christ, and they get this alone time with Christ. This very sacred time with Christ. About eight days, this is verse 28, after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men... Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw the glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, Jesus Peter said to him, um, Jesus Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. The text says he didn't know what he was saying. Um, It's more accurate if your version says he didn't know how to respond. He didn't know what to do with this image in front of him. But the word he uses for shelters really just means tabernacle. And so you have the same scene. I want you to picture Moses. He goes up on the mountain and fear enters the cloud, right? This is the Old Testament on Sinai. He's in the cloud with God on the mountain. It's trembling. It's shaking. And God says, we're going to build a tabernacle. And that is the dialogue they have is about this tabernacle. I'm going to make my dwelling with you. 
Now you have the same scene. He's come in the spirit of Moses. He's come in the spirit of Elijah. And Peter doesn't know how to respond. And he says, let's make three tabernacles now. Because this is a Moses. Now, obviously, you're reading the text. You probably thought like I did. How do you know it's Moses? I mean, I don't know how he knows this, this is Moses and this is Elijah. But he says, he says, man, this is Moses. This is the great hero of our nation. This is Elijah. Let's build three tabernacles, one for each of you. And it says this. He just didn't know how to respond. He didn't know what he was saying. And while he was speaking, verse 34, a cloud appeared and enveloped them. They were afraid as they entered the cloud. This is all calling back to Sinai. A voice comes from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Now we would have immediately remembered Moses' words. Someone is going to come in my nature. Someone is going to come in my character. You must listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at the time what they had seen. Um, All of a sudden, Jesus is alone, standing before them, and God has made a statement about who this man is. Um, My cousins were here this last week, and one of my cousins uh, had a schedule that we were supposed to follow. Um, Of all of the mountains in Colorado that we were going to climb last week, And I couldn't bring it up on my phone, but you would have laughed hysterically if I read to you the entire schedule. And I laughed about it, and I found out, oh, we did about half of it. It was ridiculous. Um, First, we went up the Poudre Canyon, did everything in the Poudre Canyon. Then we went up the um, Estes Park, did everything that was available in Estes Park. Then we went down to Breckenridge, Quandary, all of this stuff. I am dead right now. I mean, I can't feel my legs. Then we stayed up and we had intense conversations at night, so I'm pretty tired right now. But our last day, uh, on last Wednesday, um, we went up Horse Tooth Mountain, and it was going to be good to get to spend some time with my, uh, you know, Horse Tooth was a break after everything we'd done. So we're going to go up Horse Tooth, and all of Bolt's elementary sixth grade is on top of Bolt's. The entire sixth grade class is on top of of Horse Tooth Mountain. I couldn't believe it. We couldn't even walk on the trail because the trail was too crowded. And I was up there and I'm thinking, this is ridiculous how crowded and Horse Tooth's too dangerous to have more than 10 people on. I, and so I was thinking, this is just crazy, man. And I was thinking about this story here. And um, cheesy or not, I like the illustration. It's getting too crowded on top of the mountain. And what that means in this story is this. We have Jesus and we've exalted him and he's a great lawgiver and he's a great judge and he's a great counselor and he's a great king, but he's not alone. We have other counselors. We have other kings. We have other people that we've put on top of this mountain. And, and it doesn't matter what it is. I've, I've thought it's crowded with all of our favorite authors and speakers. It's crowded by a thousand commercial churches. It's crowded by our busy lives, our countless voices crying out for attention. The top of our mountain is crowded. There are too many voices there in that spot, the place of authority. Now, I I don't know if, if you're like me. I hope, again, when you listen to me, that you weigh my words. Um, because I'm wrong. I disagree with myself frequently. Um, we're accustomed to politicians. Weighing out carefully the pros and the cons of their platforms. 
We're accustomed to hearing voices and weighing them with scrutiny. And I think that's healthy. But there's a place in everyone's life that is designated, I believe this, for absolute authority. A place where you put one person alone, Jesus Christ, and you know what it is when he speaks, you listen. Uh, the illustration Bob Goff gave during class I thought was, was perfect. Imagine if you're skydiving. Um, the instructor that is there with you, even if it's, he's used the illustration for 30 seconds, has absolute authority because who he is, you listen to him. You yield to him. The reason Jesus says this, and this is kind of just gearing up for next week, is because he's about to give some instructions. He's about to give some um, guidance that is going to be very difficult. He's going to say some things that it's easy to understand and it could just be bubbles and froth. But if we really take it in and we listen to what he's saying, it's life-changing. It's something that's extremely powerful. He's going to say, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Be careful how you listen. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it a man, for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his very self? He who is least among you, that's the greatest. Be careful how you listen. He's going to come down from this mountain and he's going to say this. Listen carefully. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. I'm going to Jerusalem. I am going to death. And if anybody wishes to follow me, if anyone wishes to be my disciple... He must pick up his own cross and follow after me. All of a sudden, this is going to change. He's going to give a completely different direction to his disciples. And everything has been good. It's been life-changing. It's been powerful. But now Jesus is going to say this. Do you really want to be my disciple? Listen to me. You need to deny yourself entirely. You need to take every single person off the throne of your mind and put God alone on that throne and say, I will listen to him. I'm going to give you complete allegiance right now. Um, I want to close just by thanking, kind of thanking Steve for a closing homework assignment in class. It meant a whole lot to me, and it kind of relates to what I'm saying here. Uh, he said, I want you to gossip this week. Now, if you weren't in class, you still have this homework assignment. I want you to gossip this week. I want you to speak well of people. I want you to say good things about people. A girl came to me one time, and she was talking about just an enemy that she had in her life, somebody that you just can't be around. And she was going off, and she said, I don't know what to do. And I said, I want you to go around and gossip about her, and I want you to, I gave her the exact same homework assignment. Someone's gossiping about you, they're speaking evil about you, then you go out and you speak well of them. You say good things about them. You respond to evil with good. Don't let it beat you. Speak well because it helps you see well. It helps you see people through a different lens. 
And now all of a sudden you can hear them not just with your mind, you can hear them with your heart. Listen well. Listen to one another. Listen to people that you don't get along well with, that you think differently from. Don't just listen with your mind. Listen with your heart. James says this, My dear brothers, take note of this. I love it because it's almost the same expression. Listen carefully. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. Now I know that this verse is intended to talk about the way we relate to one another. And that is what I'm talking about right now. But I also want to challenge you to apply this verse in the way you relate to God. Be quick to listen. Have you ever wished when you were in a conversation that was really intense with somebody that you had about five to ten minutes to formulate what you would say next? That's me constantly. I hate being put on the spot. I wish I could think through what I'm saying more. But I want in those moments, God speak to me. Give me wisdom to speak what is right and just and holy and good and edifying. Help me speak the way you speak. Help me listen the way you listen. Help me see people the way you see people. He says this, and slow to become angry. I want to ask a final blessing. I wanted to close this message and end it with a prayer. Uh, This message means a whole lot to me because um, I have been embarrassed personally. I've been very embarrassed looking back on my life, especially in church and as a religious leader. I've been embarrassed about what I've become and the way I can speak to people with arrogance. The things that churches fight about, I've brought this up a lot because it's important that we bring it up a lot. The things that churches and church leaders have fought about, while the poor and the hungry and the children and the desperate seem to have the wisdom to fall on their knees and listen. God deliver us from self-importance. Amen? Let's pray. Father, um, my heart needs that. And I pray, Father, for your church. I'm not just asking for Meadowlark. I pray, God, that you deliver us from our words the way you had to deliver Peter from his own words. Father, there's all these authorities we place on this mountain. And you seem to be one of them. And I pray, God, that um, we would honor you as Christ. We would honor you as holy. We would set you apart in our minds. I pray, God, that we would hear your voice constantly and that we would listen for it constantly, that we would be quick to listen to you, quick to listen to one another, that you would... Father, help us not mistake foolishness um, for anything other than what it is. Um, God, when we, we begin to make ourselves important and, and not you, uh, God, it, it, we're, we're worse off than we were when we first came to you. And I pray, God, that as we come to you as children, we come to you as poor, we come to you as needy, we come to you as desperate, I pray, God, that you'd give us the wisdom to remain there, to not honor ourselves as above anyone, but to love people and to honor them as above ourselves. Give us that wisdom to listen to you and to hear you. I thank you so much, Father, for the way you've shown yourself through a family like this. 
And I ask this week uh, that the, the assignment that Steve gave us in class, I pray, God, that through that and through a number of other areas, people see Christ in us, a love for people, a joy for life, and a humility that is, only comes from you. I praise you so much for the wisdom of, of your words. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Let's worship our God.